Hi, I'm Chuck Stedman. And I'm Teresa Stedman. And you are listening to the Steadfast Podcast. In the Bible, we're taught, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. This podcast is about being steadfast and immovable, even when everything around you is slipping, shifting, and changing. And nowadays, that happens a lot. But that's okay, because we know if you push forward, you can make it through. So hang on, because here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Steadfast Podcast. I'm Chuck Stedman. And I'm Teresa Stedman, and our guests today are John and Jana Mullen. John and Jana are senior service missionaries with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, working in the service mission program. This is their third mission. We first met the Mullins when John was serving as the mission president of the California Riverside Mission. At that time, I was serving as stake president in Hemet, California. Our friendship was renewed when Teresa and I were called as service mission leaders first to the Phoenix Service Mission and then later in the Tempe Chandler Service Mission where we currently serve. John's hobbies include assembling puzzles and scuba diving. Jana loves to bake. During their mission in California, she baked 254 dozen hot rolls. That's 3,048 rolls, both for some lucky missionaries. Jana loves bird nests and seashells and rocks of all colors and sizes, all kinds of trees and the changing face of the sky. Jana believes that the beauty and variety of nature testify of a loving father who wants to delight us with his creations. The Mullins are parents of five children and 10 grandchildren. John and Jana are disciples of Jesus Christ. How they live their life, their love for one another and their family, as well as God's children with whom they associate is a testament of that discipleship. Becoming disciples of Christ is more than just saying, I believe. The apostle James taught that works are an important part of our discipleship. Works are how we demonstrate our faith in Jesus Christ. But what are those works? How do we know when we truly are disciples of Jesus Christ? Do we do it all on our own? When and how does grace save us? Ultimately, why is it important to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? These are some pretty weighty questions that we'll be discussing with John and Jana. So let's start here question for you. Why is it important to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? I think one of the keys is that as we become a disciple, we then strive to become more like the Savior. And and to become more like the Savior, we need to understand two basic doctrines. One is the doctrine of Christ and the other is grace. I have seen many fascinating creatures when scuba diving. Almost all of them have involved following a guide who knows the reef or the island very well. There's one fish that astonishes me every time I see one. It's the whale shark, the biggest fish in the ocean. I've seen four of them between 18 and 28 feet in length. Some grow as large as 40 feet. The rectal or the tail fin is typically uh, 9 to 10 feet tall, which means it is the height of a basketball hoop. 
The normal weight is 20 to 30,000 pounds, typically described as the weight of a yellow school bus. It's a huge fish and swims fairly fast for its size. The first time I saw one was in the Socorro Islands off the coast of Mexico. There were two groups of divers. One guide happened to circle the island with his uh, group, and they saw a whale shark on the second day. Our group did not see it. That was annoying because on a boat, when some divers see something and the others do not, uh, you just wish that you were where you could have seen it. Our guide stayed in one place and we waited for the sharks to appear. There's plenty of other fascinating sea life to see while we were waiting, but we were anxious to see a whale shark. I thought at one point about changing groups because of the other guide's early success. On the third day, our patience paid off. We saw three whale sharks, one after the other, 22, 26, and 28 feet long. Our guide knew better than the other guide as to how to spot these fish. The other group only saw one of these sharks. So the ultimate score was three to two, and we felt very good about it. <laughs> if we want to have spiritual experiences, we need to follow an experienced guide, and many times be patient. When the spirit comes, it changes our life and astonishes us. If we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to follow and become more like the Savior, who is our guide. So if we begin with the doctrine of Christ, oftentimes when we ask uh, our missionaries, what is the doctrine of Christ? They, they tend to think a lot and uh, they, they struggle with the answer. But I think the best way to start is to start out with the fourth article of faith. So can one of you recite the fourth article of faith? Sure. Right. We believe that the first four principles and ordinances of the gospel are first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second, repentance, third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, and fourth, laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. And what does uh, this article of faith teach us? Well, it really teaches us that there are principles that we follow, that's faith and repentance, and then ordinances that we must participate in, and that's baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost. And, and those become the foundation for what we need to do to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And then when we add the fifth principle of the heart. to the end, uh, then, then we have the doctrine of Christ. And in the Book of Mormon, it's taught in its entirety in 2 Nephi chapter 31, 3 Nephi chapter 11, and 3 Nephi chapter 27. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atonement, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. We are to apply this doctrine continually in our lives, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year. And after we are baptized, we substitute partaking of the sacrament on a weekly basis for baptism as part of the doctrine of Christ. However, the sacrament is more than just renewing our baptismal covenant. It's very interesting in talks by Elder Tom Perry and Elder uh, Delbert Stapley, two general authorities. They said that uh, it's renewing all of our covenants, not just the baptismal covenants. So what other covenants do we make with the Lord besides baptism? Uh, there are temple covenants. 
You know, and, and if I could share something, when I was thinking about this, um, we had a friend who was a recent convert to the church, and she, they had been attending another church, and some people from that other church came by to visit, and they wanted to know where she had been, and she told them what she had done, that she had joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they got to talking about the sacrament, and in that church that she had attended before. They only partake of the sacrament once a year. And she bore such a beautiful testimony about the importance of partaking of the sacrament every week to remember what her covenants were, to remember Jesus Christ. And I thought, and she came and talked to me afterwards and she said, oh, Teresa, I don't know if I did that right. And I said, oh, Susan, you did that just fine. That's just perfect. Um, yeah, that's why we partake of the sacrament, to be reminded of of what we've covenanted to do. Well, I like what you said, then. That means that we not only renew our baptismal covenant, but our temple covenants and any personal promises or covenants to the Lord when we partake of the sacrament. Uh, there's two other verses in, in 2 Nephi chapter 31 that teach important doctrines. Verse 12 quotes the Savior, and he says, follow me and do the things which ye have seen me do. Then verse 16 says, give, I, I think it gives the best definition of enduring to the end. And it says, unless a man shall endure to the end in following the example of the son of the living God, he cannot be saved. And to me, what these verses mean is that we need to do what the master would do if he were here. And we need to endure to the end by following his example. So I know that we become more like Jesus Christ as we become more like Jesus Christ, we are his disciples. Now, how do you follow the example of enduring to the end in your life? Hey, we're doing this today. <laughs> we do what we're asked. We do the things that, even when they're hard, even when we don't want to, when it's just not at all convenient, not where we want it to be. Um, and I, I, probably you felt this way, but, but for a long time, like for a lot of years, I felt like my life was just on, I was on a boat and I was not steering that boat anymore. Um, and I said, I'll get on and, I'll, and you take me where you need to take me and whatever I need to do, I'm sure you'll help me get it done. And I, I think that's what it is. It's just, it's doing more than dipping your big toe in the water. It's jumping in. And, and trusting that the Lord will uh, give you the experiences that you need with wisdom and love and mercy to help you become what you need to be. Right, right. I think it's living a life where you can be an example to others. I know that there's two philosophies. One is do as I do, not as I say, or do as I say, not as I do. I think as we as we live the gospel based on on our testimony, our faith, and what we know, I think people take note of who we are. And I think that's probably the most important thing that we can do, and that helps us to endure to the end. That helps us to live that that life. We we learned in primary, I'm trying to be like Jesus. Uh, and that song I think has very significant uh, relevance to helping us become who we are and how we can mirror who the Savior is. 
And it's that primary uh, song that uh, actually uh, tells us how to become a disciple of Christ mm-hmm. and teaches the doctrine that is uh, taught in, in the Book of Mormon. You know, I, I find Second Nephi chapter 31 a fascinating chapter. If you actually follow the one of the first footnotes that is given in that chapter, it says that Nephi actually received this revelation at the same time he received the interpretation of the tree of life vision. But he saved this particular doctrine and writing to the end of his life uh, in, in terms of writing it in the Book of Mormon. So Nephi explains that the way to follow the master is to keep the commandments of the father. And as we keep the commandments, one of the commandments is to become more like his son, the savior. Both the father and the son spoke to Nephi in this revelation. It's fascinating how they go back and forth and they say what needs to be done. Their message is that we need to apply the doctrine of Christ in our lives. We are to enter the gate and be on the straight and narrow path, which means we have to have faith, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost, and endure to the end. After we apply the doctrine of Christ in our lives, the promise of the Father is that we'll have eternal life. According to 3 Nephi chapter 27, the doctrine of Christ allows each of us to obtain the blessings of the atonement in our lives. The only way that we can have eternal life is with the blessings of the atonement. And I testify that with the blessings of the atonement in our lives, That's how we become disciples of the Savior. Now, what is the importance of the doctrine of Christ then? It's truly the only way that leads back to our Heavenly Father's presence. I think about Nephi or Lehi's vision of the tree of life and how how narrow and straight that pathway can be. Um, we're, We're given a lot of information through the gospel and it helps us truly to stay on that that straight and narrow path. You know, it's been interesting because for some of our other podcasts, Chuck has been interviewing former prison inmates. And it is these were men who were incarcerated for decades. And when when they come to hear the teachings of the doctrine of Christ and the atonement, it, it's so emotional to listen to them talk and the weight, the burden that is lifted from their shoulders when they understand that's not me anymore. Someone else has taken that away from me and I am a new man. It, it is a powerful testimony. I mean, one man was 25, in, 25 years in prison. Another was 30 years in prison. Um, most of their life was behind bars and the freedom of the atonement rescued them. It's, it's incredible. But I, I think, and I, I remember thinking, I've never had those types of experiences in my life where I had to come from such a depth. Um, and I think sometimes it's maybe a little bit harder to understand how needful the atonement is when when the need doesn't seem as great. And isn't that fascinating how those men who are in prison were able to apply the doctrine of Christ and mm-hmm. how they felt afterwards. 
You know, I just I just have to I'm sorry, one second, I just have to tell you that that it's through the prison ministry program that the church mm -hmm. has instituted that these men come into contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One man in particular is not a member of the church. He's still waiting to be baptized and he has to wait until after his parole ends. Mm -hmm. But he he holds on to that and he says, I will be baptized. I I would be bad. I would give anything I possibly could to be baptized right now. But he understands he has to wait. Yeah. And and like Teresa said, the the uh, the emotion that comes from this is just so overwhelming to hear these men. Uh, their souls are just bared because of the faith that they exercise in the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, Janet. Go ahead. No, oh, I, I love hearing that story. All the four of us sitting here have not had the experiences that you're talking about with those men, but all of us have had the experience of being separated from our Father in heaven because of sins that we have committed, mistakes that we have made, omissions in our lives, things that good things that we should have done that we didn't do. And that carries its own kind of pain to be separated from our father in heaven that was the original pain that was adam's that was the what adam experienced with the original sin it was the pain of separation from his father in heaven and that too can be overcome in the lives of all of us by the atonement of jesus christ yeah so we have talked about the doctrine of Christ. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how grace uh, applies in our lives. Now, other Christian religions talk a lot about grace. And of course, we in the church, sometimes uh, the question is asked, do we believe in grace? And the answer is absolutely we do. Most of the other Christian churches would say that we do not, but we actually understand grace much better than they do. Uh, there are three components to grace. There's the resurrection, there's the enabling or strengthening power of the Savior's atonement with which we can do things beyond our normal capacity. And the third, there's the redeeming or healing power of Christ's atonement with which we receive a forgiveness of sins. So let's discuss each one of these points. Uh, why is the resurrection so important? I love the thought that I will be home with my Father in heaven, with him, with his physical body, my Savior with his physical body, and that I will have a physical body. I love the thought that I will be able to put my arms around the people that I love uh, and be with them again, as we were when we knew and loved each other while we were on earth. Um, and, and we know the Book of Mormon tells us in many places that we need our physical bodies in order to appear before the Lord to be judged. So all of those things, I think. And what's fascinating is that we don't have to do a thing for this to happen. We become immortal and our bodies and spirits will be together forever. You know, I had a friend um, many years ago whose daughter had just graduated from high school the family actually lived across the street from the high school. And this was probably a week after graduation and she had 
been running the track out there just for exercise and she had a massive heart attack and died to 18 years old. And I remember her mom saying to me, Katie is a rainbow. Every time I look at a rainbow, I think of my Katie. And I remember saying, oh, Joanne, Katie is so much more than a rainbow. And just no comprehension that there would really be anything more, that there would really ever be the opportunity to put her arms around her daughter. And how grateful we are to have that knowledge, to know that to be able to hug those that we loved will be available to us. Um, so, so resurrection is important. Why is the redeeming or healing power of Christ's atonement important? Well, I think we just talked about it. That redeeming power is what allows us to set down the burden of the things that we have done wrong. And um, that is, that's what allows the Spirit to come to us. It's what allows the Holy Ghost to come to us. When, when we can, through the atonement, be forgiven. And, and with his presence, we can be alive again to things of the Spirit. We can have life and light in our souls because of the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. And that's how we receive a forgiveness of our sins and ultimately become purified and sanctified so that we can actually dwell with our Heavenly Father. Not, not, not merely appear before Him so we can be judged, but so that we can live with Him. So well, how do we attain those blessings? How do we attain the blessings of the atonement? Well, I, it's what we've talked about. Apply the doctrine of Christ in our lives. That's how we obtain the blessings of the so we exercise faith in Jesus Christ, we repent. It's this kind of ongoing circle. We, we partake of the sacrament, remember the covenants that we've made, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then keep, keep enduring. And I, I don't really like the word endure. I like the word press forward. And Nephi uses that in chapter 32, press forward. Um, because there's still that resistance, but when I think of enduring, there's a poster a long time ago that showed a cat hanging onto the ledge, and, and it just said, and hang in there, baby. And I thought, I want to do more than just hang in there. I, I want to press forward. Um, that's my, that's an action, not just hanging, not just hanging in, um, not just enduring until it's finally over, but really working against that resistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and once again, if you go back to the one of the scriptures that we cited before, it's following the example of Jesus Christ during mortality. Uh, and, and that's really what enduring is. So we apply the doctrine of Christ, but will that alone allow us to return to live with our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ? And of course, the answer to that is no, um, because the scriptures say we have to be perfect. If we want to be able to perfect. <laughs> if we want to be able to dwell with our Father in heaven, we have to be perfect, and that's daunting. That's daunting to us. But when you think about it, that's what grace is all about. Grace is what will ennoble us, will strengthen us, so that we can become perfect after we apply the doctrine of Christ. So perfection. Yeah. <laughs> I personally feel like 
will be a long time getting to some of those things. But we will have developed, if we continue and live in the presence of the Spirit, with him helping us to be what we couldn't be without his presence there. You know how it is. When you, when you are praying, when you're reading your scriptures, when you're serving, you feel him near and through the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost is with you, you're a better person than you would be by yourself. And, and so I think in that presence, um, we can become better than we are. You know that. We know that too. You know, um, I, I love the two scriptures in Matthew and then in Third Nephi when the Savior is teaching this doctrine, be therefore perfect. And I, and I remember a long time ago comparing the two and realizing in, in the New Testament, he said, be therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. But as the resurrected Christ, he said to the Nephites, be therefore perfect even as I am your Father in heaven. So as a perfect man, he hadn't achieved perfection until he completed his mission. And I, and I love that the idea that perfection is being completed or being whole. And we're not whole now. We're working on it. But there's a lot of pieces that have to be filled in. And there's a lot of experiences we have to have. Now, I think it's fascinating that uh, he needed a resurrected body to mm -hmm. be mm -hmm. Right. That, 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 that was part of the process. Yeah. Uh, there's a scripture in 2 Nephi 25-23, which we read often, and, and to me it's one of the most misunderstood scriptures in the church. But what it says, it says, it is by grace we are saved after all we can do. And to give this sentence really clear meaning, we need to substitute the word despite or in spite for after. In fact, as you go to the electronic version of the scriptures and click on the icon define, uh, that, that's uh, the definition that it gives you for after all is to substitute one of those two words. So say it with those, one of those two words. In so so it, it, it is by grace we are saved despite all we can do. And that just gives it a, a, a different yeah. meaning. That, that, it's, that, that takes us the rest of the way. Yeah, well, and it takes the pressure off of me trying to figure out, did I do all? Ha have I done it yet? Uh, you know, I'm like, it's okay. Just do your best. Keep moving forward. Yeah, it's I, I, already I, I, been, the glass is already full. Yeah. You're not trying to fill the glass. I liked what then President Uchtdorf taught. Uh, we are not saved because of all we can do. Have any of us ever done all we can do? And, and as we answer that question, it, it's no. So, so when you think about it, what is all we can do? All we can do is apply the doctrine of Christ. That's, That's right. all we can do. Yes, once we have the blessings of the atonement in our life, then grace takes, takes over. And I think that's, that's the beauty that we miss. That's the part that we forget. We don't connect all of that. We don't realize that living the doctrine of Christ is all he asks us to do. It's a lot. It's a lot to exercise faith and to keep repenting and to remember those, uh, those covenants that we've made and to seek for the Holy Ghost. But that really is it. 
which then encompasses all those other things, being good, being kind, being helpful, um, you know, not judging. Um, but it's a much more manageable um, bite. Therefore, with grace, we are saved after we apply the doctrine of Christ in our lives. I assure you that that is all we can do. The gift of grace helps us to become his disciples. So let's go to the scriptures. Let, let's read the scripture in Alma 26, verse 12. And this, uh, of course, is the, uh, this is Ammon. Uh, it's at the completion of the mission of the sons of Mosiah. And he says, yea, I know that I am nothing. As to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God. For in his strength, I can do all things. Yea, behold, many mighty miracles we have wrought in this land for which we will praise his name forever. To what strength is this verse referring? To the enabling power of the Savior's atonement. Which is so amazing. And I'm sure that you experienced this as you served as a mission president and as companion, Jenna. You look back over and you think, oh my gosh, how did we do all of that? Where were the hours? Where, how did we do that? I was just thinking the same thing about Elder Stedman. When you were called to be state president, how did you feel? First of all, overwhelmed. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I thought, how am I ever going to get done what needs to be done? I looked at the, at the state president that was serving before I was called. And I thought, well, I can't do what he does. He does this, he does that. I mean, it's truly amazing. And so I never expected to, to serve in that capacity. So I can honestly say I was overwhelmed. But as I look back across it, and I know that many of my friends who are not members of the church, they said, how can you do all of that stuff? And work a full-time job. And work a full-time job. And, and it's like the Lord's there. The it Lord is at my side. It really is amazing to feel that enabling power. I had a conversation one time with a customer who had come in. He was um, a man from England and he had moved to the area and he, he knew um, people from the church when he was in England and he, and he loved to come in and talk to me. So he'd come in right before work would end and then he'd sit and we'd talk religion. And we were talking about this one time and he said, oh, Teresa, you give God far too much credit. You are the one here at 10 and 11 o'clock at night and back again at six o'clock in the morning. And I said, Frank, I cannot do that by myself. I have to have that strength. I can't, I simply can't do it with all the other responsibilities that I have. He is right here with me. He gives me the strength to do it. He inspires the ideas that I need to get this business moving. And he said, oh, I wish I could have that kind of faith. I said, well, you can just choose to believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what resulted from the enabling power of the Savior's atonement as uh, Ammon was speaking here? Oh, they perform mighty miracles. Yeah, yeah it, like it, it, isn't that fascinating? And, and when yeah. you think about our, our service missionaries and what they do, either at church operations or at charities, they perform mighty miracles. 
And it's because of the enabling power of the Savior's atonement. Ammon took all the arms away from his enemies. Yes. <laughs> he disarmed them. De armed them. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. And, uh, and, but, but, but once again, I think we just need to assure our service missionaries that they, they will perform mighty miracles if they don't just try to do it themselves. Uh, they, they need to put forth the effort, but once they have the enabling power of the Savior's atonement, they will perform those miracles. And, and I think sometimes it's just the miracle of doing something that you didn't think you had the ability to do at all, uh, whether it, to someone else it would be small. But like I've, I've never done that before. You know, a missionary who um, wanted to serve in the temple but said, I, I could never memorize the prayers. I could never learn to do that. And telling him, yes, elder, you can. You can. And and that that pride, which pride is an interesting word because we don't like to use it, but that, that sense of accomplishment did that. And he would call Elder Stedman and recite the prayers on the phone. And, you know, do I have this right? And that what what a tremendous accomplishment for someone else that was no big deal it's just the baptismal prayer it's not that hard but for him that was a major accomplishment in his life yeah. achieved through the atonement yes yes absolutely i think one of the miracles that our missionaries accomplish is that in the service that they give to others they show others the value that they have. They help them understand that God loves them, that God sees them as someone of worth. And, and our missionaries show that they love them and they see them as someone of worth. They're there to do that. And and in the reflection of and in their love is reflected the Lord's love for them. And that is a remarkable miracle. Someone who hasn't known that the Lord loves them, but sees it in the service of a service missionary. Yeah, there is something very sweet about um, that person-to-person -person service. When we first started our mission, we had a missionary who um, had some, some learning disabilities, but he loved his mission. And once a year in the town that he lived in, they would do a like a homeless, I don't know what they called it. Anyway, where they could come and take a shower and get clean clothes and get some counseling and get some food and just kind of get some resources. And so he would go and participate and he would help as they would come in and he'd kind of get their names and, and help them get situated to go in for their showers. And he talked about how, how it made him, first of all, so grateful for everything that he had, but mostly how grateful he was to serve God's children and to not judge them for the circumstances in which they found themselves, but to only want to be their servant and help to relieve their personal suffering. That's an incredible experience. And this is a young man that probably otherwise wasn't given many opportunities to do much because of his limitations. So how can we assure that the Lord's strength can always be with us? You know, as you go to the, it's actually in the Bible dictionary, it says that uh, 
the enabling power of the Savior's atonement is a gift from God. It's a gift of the Spirit, which means that worthiness is essential uh, to have this gift. And there has to be some effort on our part. So it's a combination of worthiness and effort, and that allows us to have this particular gift. And may I just add to that that I think it's also asking. Mm -hmm. I think as we pray for the qualities that we see that we need and as the Lord inspires us as to the things that we need so that we can pray for them. I think that that helps us to move in that direction. I, I love what Elder uh, Ulysses uh, Suarez taught. He said, please remember that the Savior's gift of grace is not necessarily limited in time to after all we can do. We may receive his grace before, during and after the time we expend our own efforts. And isn't that comforting? Yes. We don't know when this is going to come, but if we're worthy, if we put forth the effort and we pray for it, it can come at any point in time. You know, as I was, I remember when you were teaching that in to our missionaries a couple of weeks ago, and as I contemplated that, I, I had an experience when I was so I joined the church when I was 13 years old and received my patriarchal blessing when I was 16. And I didn't have a whole lot of understanding or, or comprehension of what that was. And I remember reading through it and thinking, well, that's pretty ordinary. And I really didn't think very much about it. And um, I, I appreciate the fact that our young people today really do read and study their patriarchal blessing. But I really just kind of put mine away and got married and had children. And some years later, I pulled it out of my journal and I read it. And there was a line in there that said, you will enjoy the companionship of the Holy Ghost to a marked degree. And I read that and I thought, I didn't know that was there. And I felt really ashamed that I had been given a gift that I didn't recognize that I had. And I actually put my patriarchal blessing away and I thought, I, I can't read that again. I am so sorry that I've spent so many years not realizing that I had a gift that I didn't use, that I didn't take advantage of. And it was several days of just really talking to God, really apologizing for not, for not taking advantage of this gift. And through my conversations with him, I realized no, Teresa, it's okay. You had that gift anyway. You were doing what you were supposed to do. You may not have recognized it, but you still had the gift. And as I looked back over my life, I thought of so many times where I realized I did have that inspiration of the Holy Ghost guiding and directing me. I may not have cognitively been aware of it, but I was doing what was right. I was moving forward, not perfect. But that gift wasn't withdrawn from me just because I didn't acknowledge that I had it. And, and I think God is so merciful. We don't always have to say thank you in order to receive the gifts that he has for us. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. You know, President Irene gave a talk called In the Strength of the Lord. And he taught some simple things that we need to do in order to have the enabling power of the Savior's atonement. 
He said the first, middle, and last thing we need to do is pray. Isn't that an interesting description? We need to always pray. The second thing was feast on the word of God. Study the scriptures. Learn, learn what's there. The third thing was go to your meetings. And I found that that was just an interesting, simple thing that he suggested that we do. And I found that that is very similar to what I have seen as I scuba dive because fish swim in schools for three reasons. Number one, to better protect themselves from predators. Number two, to improve their ability to find food. And number three, to swim faster and more efficiently. Schooling requires coordinated body positions and synchronized movement so that they can just move together. And on a dive trip to Borneo, there were two approximately equal sized schools of jacks of about 2,500 fish. These jacks were about 15 to 18 inches long. One morning, the two schools combined into a massive school of 5,000 fish. The predators were of two types, groupers that were three to four feet long and reef sharks that were five to seven feet long. What was interesting as we observed this school of fish is that none of the predators caught any of the jacks. In fact, all I saw was one shark chasing a grouper. <laughs> so not, not, not even after the bait. But our meetings or gatherings have very similar results. Once again, to better protect themselves from predators, we are better protected from Satan and his temptations because we are together and we enjoy the presence of the Spirit. To improve their ability to find food, we are spiritually fed because we desire to learn from the speakers and teachers and we participate in the lessons and in the discussions. And then uh, swim faster and more efficiently Finally, we often learn quicker and retain more knowledge because of learning by the Spirit and participating in gospel instructions. So I find it fascinating how schooling applies to us as we gather together in, in meetings. And then you the know, fourth- I could just share one little thing there, sorry. Um, I just love having these discussions. I think they're so beneficial. I, I love to discuss the gospel, but um, you know, meeting together has been a really hard thing to do the last six months. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure you, as, as we have, and many other people have been holding church with your family via Zoom. And I have really loved it. And and um, my daughter and her family love it. But I have one daughter-in-law. It has not been her most favorite thing to do. And she said, I miss being at church with my church family. I miss that association. And I cannot wait until we can finally go back together. She said, I like what we're doing here with, with our family. But she said, I need that, that physical. I need to be there. That strengthens me. And I think that's true. And, and that's the approach that we ought to take with meetings. So the, the fourth thing that uh, President Irene says is that we need to serve in a calling to serve others. And I thought it was interesting what the results are. He says the results are to come to know and to love the master. As we do those four things, we, we love the Savior even more. And then the Holy Ghost becomes our constant companion, which gives us uh, guidance. And then he says there will be changes in you. Your desire to do good will increase, and you will be more kind and more patient. 
And then he concludes, he says, you will not be the same person because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. You can become new, changed, and better. I would say that you, in, in a large degree, a large sense, you become qualified. Uh, the Lord has taught us that whom he calls a qualified. So when I related that example, having been called a state president, I was overwhelmed. But over the years, I became qualified. So I really wasn't state president when I was first called. But by the end of my my calling, I had become the state president, probably much like maybe you felt as mission president. And as many members, you could be called as a primary teacher or a Sunday school teacher, and you feel those uh, feelings of inadequacy. But as you participate and as you do the things the Lord has asked us to do, then he qualifies us so that we do become that. I think, I think what you're saying is that after nine years, you felt that you really became a stake president. Right. <laughs> you need to tell that to your missionaries. They only have to do it in 18 months to two years. It took you nine. So, yeah. But, you know, I remember um, I remember there was when Chuck served as a bishop, there was a couple. They were a, an older couple. Um, of course, that's a relative term now, isn't it? Older. <laughs> but um, her husband was not a member of the church. But she had been, but he'd always been supportive of her coming. And he finally joined the church. And um, and, I, and you had called him to be your clerk. Mm -hmm. And he said, I, I can't do that. I am a brand new member of the church. But he accepted the assignment. And it was so amazing to see that transformation. And and he was, he was even older than we are now at this age. Um, but to see that transformation, and I remember a sister who had recently been baptized, and she was asked to give a talk, and she said, I, I can't do that. And she went on to become a great teacher in Relief Society. But we take those, those little baby steps, and, and we really are qualified then because we've exercised that faith. Like you said, Jana, I trust that, you, that the Lord will help me to do and be what I need to do and be. So, so how is it that these simple little things actually create that change in us? Well, when you think about it, our spirituality increases uh, and, and change always occurs because we have the spirit in our life. And, you know, if you go to the teachings of King Benjamin, he says uh, we become a saint when we yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the great teachings is one of uh, Elder Christofferson's, where he says the Holy Ghost is the messenger of grace. And it's because we have the Holy Ghost with us as our companion that we are enabled, that we are redeemed, that we can do the things that are beyond our capacity, and that we can return to live with our Heavenly Father. Your thoughts about simple things? You know, I love to bake. So I walk into my kitchen with a recipe book and I put things together the way the recipe says and something comes out of the oven. I read my scriptures every day. And as I read my scriptures and I pray for the spirit to be with me, um, something happens. 
when I put that cake in the oven, it doesn't look the same as it does when it comes out. And what I take and who I am in my life and what I put together is simple. You know, there's, there's, the Lord knows we're mortal and, and he requires of us really quite simple things. Um, but when we do what he asks and the spirit blesses and sanctifies those things, we, we become different. Just like the cake coming out of the oven is different. I, you look at your missionaries and the, the challenges that they're facing and the, the afflictions that they're willing to go through, that's going to change them. And I, I'll bet they're feeling it already. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's important that our missionaries will develop the strength of the Lord in his service. And I testify that they will become tested and strengthened disciples as a result of the enabling power of the Savior's return. Let's read another scripture, a partial scripture from Alma 17, verse 11. Uh, and yet ye shall be patient in long suffering and afflictions, that ye may show forth good examples unto them in me, and I will make an instrument of thee in my hands to the salvation of many souls. This was a teaching given to the sons of Mosiah at the beginning of their mission. So what does long suffering mean in today's language? Oh, out of your comfort zone. <laughs> this is not fun. Why am I having to do this? Yeah. 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 And when you think about it, it's an attribute of Christ. And of course, uh, our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are never out of their comfort zone. But the way we develop long suffering is by being out of our comfort zone. It means that we have extreme patience. Now, what are some other words for afflictions? He talks about be patient in long suffering and afflictions. It's something that causes pain or suffering. Okay. And do you think missionaries yeah. feel that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think they do. And, and Alma, in talking to his sons, also referred to trials and troubles as well as afflictions. And all our missionaries are going to experience those things. And we ought to tell them that's normal. It's natural. Well, and I think also that, so in, in my life, most everything I've been able to do, I've, I've kind of known what I was doing. Not, not everything. I've had to do some really hard things. Um, but, and I think it's having those experiences that helps me to have compassion for our missionaries who may be struggling with something that I look at and think, that's so easy. Why can you not do that? When someone could have looked at, looked at what I was struggling with and said, that's so easy. Why can't you do that? So that, that compassion is so important, that understanding where you're coming from. Um, you know, Jana, you said you love to bake. I love to bake, but it does not always turn out correctly. And I, think, I followed the directions. And I, and I think it's that practice. It's do it over and over again. Just keep working at it. Um, you know, some people are just great roll bakers. I am a great rock baker and um, I just have to work at it. And I think I followed the directions, but am I really willing to put in the time? And what I've had to start doing is 
like research, do you, how long should you actually beat that bread dough before you've killed the yeast and it won't work? <laughs> and so there's these, these little things, these little nuances. It's, you've got to put in the time, you've got to research it and figure it out and really think. It's not just check off, I read my scriptures. It's think about what did I read? How, do it, how does it apply to me? What changes do I need to make? That didn't work. Let me try it this way. It's a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. So the scripture refers to being good examples. Uh, what happens when our missionaries are good examples? Uh, they become instruments in the Lord's hands. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're capable of doing whatever is required of them. Yeah, and they personally thrive. You feel it. You feel it. When that role turned out right, you want to share it with everybody because it's good. It's not a rock. And when when you're when you're lifted, filled by the spirit, you want to share that. You yeah. want to keep going. Yeah, yeah. And what the Lord promises, he says, I will make an instrument of thee unto the salvation of many souls. That's how they help bring people unto Christ. And the Book of Mormon teaches that often people uh, witness Christ-like behavior by the way others live their lives. And of course, a great example of this is Ammon, one of the sons of Mosiah, and the service he rendered to King Lamoni. In the case of our service missionaries, people who are around them see their example frequently and powerfully through dedication and service. They help others come into Christ by their actions. As a result, these people are willing to listen to the doctrine of Christ, then they can obtain the blessings of the atonement in their lives, which ultimately leads to their salvation. So I know that as disciples, our service missionaries can help others come into Christ, uh, come unto Christ by being good examples. You know, we had a really great service project at um, ASU about a month ago. We combined service missions and proselyting missionaries and it was really hot. I'm sure it was 100 degrees. And we were outside and we were planting tree markers in their arboretum around all of their trees. And, and it was a bit unorganized and, and the poor director, there were people out with COVID and so she wasn't able to get everything done the way she wanted to do so that when we arrived, it wasn't quite ready. And yet here we had 150 missionaries and happy, Nobody griping, nobody complaining, looking to see what can I do to help? What do you need? She came up to us afterwards and said, I have never worked with a group of people like this who were so happy, so uncomplaining, so willing to do whatever needed to be done. When can you come back? Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's just a great example. Uh, well, why don't we read a, uh, a quote from Elder Hans Boom. Uh, he, he doesn't pronounce it boom, but it's boom. Uh, he's Dutch, so. Elder Boom says, we are invited by a loving Heavenly Father to walk the path of discipleship and return to Him. He loves us with a perfect love. By ministering to each other, we help one another to understand who we are, because ministering is exercising divine love. We refer to that love as the pure love of Christ. It is that love, that light, that needs to shine and brighten our surroundings as we go about our daily lives. People will notice the light and will be drawn to it. That is the kind of missionary work that will draw others to come and see, come and help, 
come and stay. And, and so their service is ministering. It's exercising the same love the Savior would if we were here. And I think service missionaries may ask, how does their service help others understand that they are children of God? And, and, and what I think is that they feel God's love. They change the, uh, uh, the perspective uh, of, of others. They reflect the light that uh, uh, these others have not seen before, at least not very often. And the result is that uh, they, uh, the, these people experience love. So, so as they feel the love, their ministering is exercising the love. And it's just very interesting how the two interact. And as a result, those that are around our missionaries will listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ or the doctrine of Christ. And then that is what Elder Baum uh, refers to as that kind of missionary work. So how then do you know that you have become a disciple of Christ? And when you think about it, it centers around love, sensing our Heavenly Father and Jesus's love and exercising that love as they minister to others is a sweet feeling. It is an evidence that they are disciples of Christ. You know, what we would like to close with is a quote from um, President Nelson. And this was um, in, in the October 2019 conference and his talk was entitled Living the Second Great Commandment. And this is what he taught. You know and love to obey his two great commandments, to love God and to love your neighbors, giving help to others, making a conscientious effort to care about others as much or more than we care about ourselves is our joy. And isn't that what our missionaries do? They mm -hmm. care more about others than they do about themselves especially, I might add, when it's not convenient and when it takes us out of our comfort zone. There's, there it is again, long-suffering. Right. Uh, he, he expects us to, it's not going to be convenient and it's not going to be in our comfort zone. And then the promise of the prophet, living that second great commandment is the key to becoming a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So when we, when we feel that first love, I... I think of um, the book of Enos, you know, he first prays for himself and he prays for his family and friends and then for his enemies. And how can I help? And so that that is that that movement that we need to make from ourselves to our friends and family and out to those who we might consider our enemies or strangers um, that desire to want to be kind to show love. Yes, and it's really that love that, that uh, changes the perspective of others. They can feel it, they can sense it, uh, and our missionaries reflect it. And isn't that a great thing? Mm -hmm. You know, in summary, we become disciples of Jesus Christ when we become more like Jesus Christ, when we obtain the blessings of the atonement in our lives, and with the gift of grace, because uh, we're on the path to re return to live with our Heavenly Father. And we become disciples as we develop strength of the Lord in his service. We become disciples by helping others come unto Christ by being good examples. We become disciples by feeling and exercising the pure love of Christ as we minister to others. And then as President Nelson has said, we become disciples as we live a second grade.
That was absolutely beautiful. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, John and Jana, for joining us today. Jana, do you have any comment that you want to end with? No, I, I think we've said it. I, I love what we've shared today. I've loved hearing your stories. Thank you so much. Did you want to bury your You know, are we going to close with all of us burying our testimonies? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's up to them. I, I have in my life um, experience that has taught me that the atonement of Jesus Christ is real. I know that it is possible to be cleansed. I know that it is possible to be enabled. I know that it is possible to have our capacities increased. I know that our Father in Heaven lives. When I kneel to pray, I always ask to feel near to Him. And that prayer is always answered. So I bear testimony of them and of the influence of the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. And I know that our Heavenly Father loves us and knows each one of us and wants us to return to Him. And the way we do it is through the doctrine of Christ and grace and the atonement. I know that Jesus is the I know Jesus is the Christ. And he has performed the atonement so that we can ultimately return to our Father in heaven. And I think one of the great quotes in the Book of Mormon is Mormon, as he is compiling the records and he says it in 3rd Nephi I am a disciple. Jesus Christ. And I hope that all our missionaries can say that without equivocation, that they are disciples. And as a result of being disciples, they will help many come unto Christ. And these things I say in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. John and Jana, thank you. This has been a very wonderful discussion. The doctrine of Christ, the atonement, is the one thing that we all need. Thank you so much for taking time with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. I also have a testimony of my Savior. And I, on more, more than one occasion, have felt his arms around me, almost feeling like I'm being held. And I'm so grateful for the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I bear my witness in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I think we're so done. Much. Thank you. This was so wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for more. We are the Stedmans. And stay steadfast. <laughs>